0: Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. My name's Nate. I work at Amplitude on the product team. Um, What I'm going to be talking about today is what we see as the next generation of products and what we think goes into actually powering them. And so a little bit about me. got my start in product way back when in ice cream novelties. And you're probably thinking, what does ice cream novelties have to do with product? Well, it's still a product, right? The same problems that we have as product people today is the same problems we had back then trying to figure out how do we build a distribution channel, create a product that people are going to want and come back to and order again and again at ballparks, which is our, our destination. And since then, it's been a lot of product roles at Bank of America, Nestle, Omnicom, Cisco, and now at Amplitude. But that's not why you're, you're here today, right? Let's, so b- before we go further, does anybody recognize this photo? So we're we'll starting to get in the fun part. Raise your hand. Anyone? It's a pile of rocks. It's a very special pile of rocks. That's right. All right, so to get this photo, was a pretty impressive product problem that we had to solve. First, we had to build the world's most advanced rocket we've ever done, right? We then had to send that rocket millions of miles into space towards a distant planet. At precisely the right time, that rocket had to separate and then create this sort of landing module, which then careened towards this distant planet and separate again to the actual rover part, right? And on the way down, at precisely the right time, with the right Considerations for the speed and the momentum and the geogra- geogra- geographical landscape—it um, had to fire off its rockets and land on the surface of Mars. And you're thinking, Nate, like, why are we talking about Mars? This is a product conference. But the same problems, again, that I was talking about before—with like what we have to do for ice cream novelties and how we landed a thing on Mars—is the same problems we have to solve for as product people. And this is an amazing feat, right? This is probably one of the most advanced things we've ever done, and yes, it took thousands of people, but then why then are some of our most powerful products not always there? So, for example, you've probably heard of Facebook. I don't think James here wanted to be reminded that his apartment was burning down in his year interview. We can land rovers on Mars and we're reminding people of this, right? Or a product we've been using for decades can't figure out things as simple as months, (laughs) right? Should be pretty basic. Or even our our platforms that have all the data about what we're trying to do, right? And what we're trying to accomplish and wants to make the right recommendations to us, will recommend Sean the job he just left, (laughs) right? Like we have to be better than this. And these, these are some of our best products and even they still struggle. And something like this as well, for like a product that we can use for 10 years, someday we'll log back in and it'll try to teach us the one-on-one experience because it has forgotten that we've been using it every single day for a decade, right? So why aren't our products better? We know we can do great things, so why why aren't they better? And that's what we're gonna be talking about today is some of the things we think that can help us get to this better place. And to do that, let's actually look at what we think better actually looks like. And so I'm gonna talk about our three trends that aren't like mind-blowing trends of the future to like, change your world, these are actually things we've been talking about for a while. But companies are actually starting to act on them. And I'm going to show you some examples of how they're doing that. All right, first one that's up. <clears throat> product as an end-to-end experience captured digitally. And the key here is the parentheses part, which is for real this time. Because we've been talking about end end experiences for well over a decade. Who thinks, here, who thinks they have an end-to-end experience with their product? We're in a room of like 1,000 people and two people raising your hand. Like, that's not a good sign, guys. <laughs> so the, the reason why this is so hard is that like, the way we, or, we create our organizations, the way we've put together our teams aren't necessarily setting us up to be successful. You have your marketing team focused on one problem, your product team focused on another, you have sales, service, et cetera. And so what we're missing, or even, and even within our product teams, we have a mobile team and a web team, and not, they don't always talk to each other. And so what we're missing is trying to create this one experience for our customers. Who here has heard of Omnichannel? Yep, right, it's pretty, pretty common statement. So when Omnichannel came out, it was an issue for retail, and the idea was that we want to let our customers transact in any channel, right? They can j- transact online, in person, on mobile. But the problem with that theory is that they, it thinks about those channels as different places. And if we really want to be great, we need to think about one channel, which is our product, and different ways for our, our customers to interact with us. But it has to be one experience. And so this is a quote um, from a leading company that's really changing the game in this space. How many people think this quote, I'm not going to read it because you guys can not do that, but how many people think this quote is from a startup? And I suppose by asking that, you're going to guess it's not. It's not. How many people think this quote is from a tech company? Again, I probably did the leading question thing. Sorry, <laughs> Um It's not. This is from Nike, right? Nike has basically said that what their, their strategy is not to think of things channel by channel, but to think of it as one experience, one channel, and drive everything together. Who has been to a Nike store recently? A bunch of us, yeah. Nike is an awesome brand. Let me tell you why. So, in their Nike store, the moment you walk in the store, the, the experience you have on mobile changes drastically. So when you're outside of a store, your mobile app for Nike is just like any other e-commerce mobile app. You can look at apparel, buy shoes, save things to your cart, et cetera. But as soon as you enter the store, it stops trying to sell you things on the mobile app because why would you be in a Nike store buying stuff on their mobile app? You're in the store, right? So the moment you walk in the store, the experience changes. It says, it says hey, Nate, welcome. Here are some shoes that I saw you looking at online. Would you like me to have an attendant come get them for you? You can say yes, you can select your shoes, it makes recommendations for other things like that. And, when, you, and you, when you're in your dressing room, if you don't have the right size, you can order a new size right in your phone. Right? And then when you just select the shoe or the shirt or the pants that you want, you just check out on your phone, say I'm taking these three, use Apple Pay, and you walk out the front door. Right? Like that is what an end-end experience is about. And so that's, when we say end-end experience in one channel, it's about recognizing that your channels don't have to be different places. It's about how to use your channels to create a better experience for your customers. And that's what Nike's doing so, so well. And so that's our, that's our first trend, which again, shouldn't be a trend, it should be something we're all doing, but this is an example of how people are actually doing that. So the second part of this is actually be able to use or track your data across that entire experience. Because the, the beautiful part to Nike is that now that they've created this really integrated experience for their customers, is they can start to optimize it for the best experience. And so that's trend number two. And before you roll your eyes, because you're like, LTV, here we go, let me explain to you what I mean. We've been talking about LTV for a long time, but the difference is that we've been talking about it as like a metric that we should monitor, we should see how it's it's working for our product. Do we have great LTV? Can we improve it? And what I'm saying is, industries are going to start to optimize on LTV. Today is a really, really important day in the world of product. Does anyone know why? Disney? Yes. Disney Plus is launching today. Why is that such a big deal? Disney has been around for 100-plus years, right? This is the first time they're doing a direct-to-consumer media play. That says something. That says that, there's a lot of, that says that there's a huge opportunity for companies to start to focus and own that entire experience so they can start to optimize for things like lifetime value. Same thing happening in retail, right? Stitch Fix. The reason why subscription works is not because it's great to get people to pay us something every month. It's because you can start to optimize the experience that they're getting and the value that you can send them. Peloton, same thing. I don't know if anyone here read Peloton's S1. I guess I'm kind of a geek, but if you look at it, it says their lifetime value for users is over 95%, or lifetime retention for users is over 95%. So that means that of every 100 users that have ever purchased a subscription from Peloton, 95 are still around today. That is crazy. And the reason why they're doing that is because they're not selling a bike. They're selling a fitness experience, and they've optimized their experience to do that. Same thing that's happening in B2B. And I'm gonna talk about a company who's actually, I think, speaking later today, Intuit. Who here uses a product from Intuit? Okay, good, a lot of you guys know that, right? Intuit has a wide range of financial products from Mint to TurboTax, QuickBooks, and a whole bunch more. But the one I wanna focus on today is QuickBooks. And so what's cool about QuickBooks is actually how the team decided to make a big change to their platform a few years ago. What they realized in a similar fashion to what Nike was doing is that in order to create the best experience for the customers, they had to actually understand what the value was. And what they realized is that small businesses who are mostly using QuickBooks need like 20 to 30 different apps and services in order to sort of manage their financial life or their accounting practices, right? And QuickBooks couldn't be the whole thing by themselves. So instead of trying to just stay in the little niche and stay in a corner, they said, you know what? Let's open up our platform. Let's make sure we integrate with other apps like Expensify and American Express and other ways to pay. And let's also even integrate with the people who could be cannibalized in our business, like accountants, because if if a business's accountant is using QuickBooks as well, then they're much more likely to stay. And the result was massive. Who here would like to see a 30% increase in their retention? That should be everyone in this room, like I don't know why I wouldn't raise your hand for that. right? So the, the, the result of this wasn't a 30% increase in retention, it was a 30 point increase in retention. Does it, the difference between percentage points and just straight retention is that, this means if they were at 50, let's say they're at 25% retention with their customers, they're now at 55 or 56, right? That is massive. And that's because they looked at the problem, looked at what their customers were doing, trying to understand how it was working and created a better experience that was optimizing for their lifetime value. And the way they did this is by re-architecting how they think about their teams, how they think about their metrics. Each team doesn't own a single metric that has nothing to do with with the team next to them, right? They're all trying to work on these metrics together. Whether it's LTV or retention or something like that, we're all solving the same thing, and we can actually move the needle in this experience. And the key thing here, too, is around silos, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. But that's a huge problem, which, which prevents us from being successful at delivering great end-end experiences. So the last thing I, I love about Intuit is they actually report on their LTV to CAC ratio. Does anybody know what their lifetime value to customer acquisition cost is in this room? Okay, like one, two, three hands. Most companies don't. That's actually a really important metric, and if, if Wall Street was probably doing it right, they probably should be valuing more companies on their ability to grow and retain customers. And that's essentially what this is measuring. Intuit's LTV to CAC ratio, I think this was last year's that they reported, is four. So just to put that in perspective for you, what that means is every dollar they spend to acquire a customer, they get four back. That is massive, right? A great LTV is three. Minimum you should have is two. If you have a one, you need to rethink things, right? And if you're below that, then you're probably losing as a business. But four is massive, right? And the fact that they've optimized this experience to do that just says a ton about their business and how they're able to put this together. All right. So that's industries optimizing LTV. And again, the key here is not saying that LTV is an important metric. It is. I'm saying is that industries are changing the way they're building product to drive this metric, and that's what's really important. And that's what's going to enable us to to actually deliver these end-to-end experiences. So the the last thing I sort of mentioned briefly um, in how Intuit was able to do this is around silos. And the the one thing that really holds us back as product teams and even organizations are the silos within our org. And I think HBR had a study on this earlier this year that basically said like the, the experiences that our customers want, that our end users want, are locked up in the artificial silos that we have in our organizations, right? As a user, I don't care what marketing owns, or product owns, or sales owns, or service owns. I have a goal that I want to accomplish, and I want to feel smooth. The problem is is that there's a a law called Conway's Law, which basically says, you ship your org chart. And so you end up having all these different silos of experiences in your org. And that creates a huge problem. And so what, what we're seeing at these great companies like Intuit and Nike, is they're changing the way their teams are organized and they're changing the roles and responsibilities, responsibilities that their teams have. Marketing isn't just responsible for acquisition. They're thinking about activation. They're driving retention. They're asking who are the best customers I can get that are most likely to retain. Product isn't just turning the blind at a blind out of marketing, but they're actually working with them to understand as people come in the door, what is the context that they have? How can, how can I serve them a better experience based off of what led them to click on that link and join my product? Right. And then finally, UX isn't just focused on a product experience. It's focused on the entire customer journey. Right. That's what makes the big difference in these companies. And so at Amplitude, we have a cool opportunity because we ask, when people log into our platform, we ask them like, to tell us about their team and their titles so we can provide some customization for them. So we actually get to see some of the new titles that are coming out there. So, we see things like director of retention, um, community manager, personalization product manager, user acquisition manager, data governor, growth designer. These are new titles that we haven't really heard before, right? And what that's representing is that companies are changing the way they're structured and changing the responsibilities that their teams have to think more longitudinally across that customer journey and not siloed. And that's what's enabling this big change. All right, so those are, those are our trends towards better products, right? And so, and so what, we're, what we're seeing here is, like, again, like these are not mind-blowing ideas, these are things we've talked about for a while, but if you're not working on these things, you're gonna be behind, so start doing it. So, but that, that alone doesn't answer us why our products are not better, because those are all sort of some of the theories that we're seeing, some of the ways that companies are working. What are some of the, like, the infrastructure or pieces we need to put together in our, in our day-to-day? <clears throat> and so the first thing goes back to that, and an experience in tracking data across the whole piece, is that the importance of high quality data that from the entire experience. So there's there's two problems. Everyone here probably tracks some sort of data. And either you have it in just on one of your platforms, or just a piece of it, or you're tracking things like page views and clicks, which shows you what people are looking at, but if it's not actionable, and you're not actually able to turn that into insights about what's driving behavior, what's increasing retention, what's driving churn, what's getting people to come back, it's not actually valuable. The same problem is if you only have it for a portion of your customer journey. If you're only looking at what's happening in marketing or in product, you're not actually seeing the full picture and you're gonna be optimizing in that silo again. So it's really important to have it across the whole experience. The second thing, actually, and to, let me explain what I mean by that. And so if we look at what a user journey might be, we have a web experience, a mobile experience, and a store experience, we need to track every single touch point there. And the reason why this is so valuable is that you then take that data and you start to turn it into new insights and new opportunities for growth. I think like Ken actually, Ken talked about this earlier and with as well about like, the, the most important thing that you can do is start to learn what is working with your customers, right? This, the idea of systematic growth and experimentation isn't about A-B testing everything to death. That's not a good idea. A-B tests have their purpose and they are valuable, but if you're only thinking of experiments as an A-B test, you're not doing it right. The, just think like a beta is a version of an experiment. You're getting people into your product, you're, they're trying something new, and it either works or you kill it, or you should kill it. If you're not killing things that don't work, again, you're not doing it right. So the, the whole point of, of the experimentation, is because of this theory that I think we've talked about in a lot of different ways, but the idea that most ideas fail to show value. This isn't just a concept, um, this is something that Stanford and Microsoft uh, had shown uh, a couple years ago, where they looked at like 300 Microsoft teams and tried to understand why some teams performed much better and some teams performed much worse. And what they realized is that it's actually not a question of the ideas. The ideas across those teams were pretty even. A third of the ideas didn't show any or had negative results, a third had flat results, and a third were positive. So two thirds of all ideas fail. But the, the big difference between the high performing teams and the low performing teams was how fast they identified those great ideas. If it takes you two months to identify a great idea, and your customer one week, that means they're gonna have eight more great ideas than you because they have done that iteration process eight times faster, right? That is the difference between high-performing teams and low-performing teams, is how fast can you identify your best ideas and actually improve it? And you're gonna have to go through it. This isn't like a rocket scientist thing. Lenworth said that like even, Steve Jobs didn't have a crystal ball, right? You have to get in there, learn about your customers, and try new things, and do those experiments to find out what are those great ideas. All right, so that, that's the first two parts. But these two things alone don't actually solve for some of the problems I showed earlier. What are these things missing? They're trying to do the right thing, right? Facebook's trying to remind you of your year. LinkedIn's trying to give you recommendation and and even Excel is trying to help you sort of fill out this column faster. So their intention is right. What they're missing is context, right? What they're missing is the context of the user, what the user was trying to do, what the user was hoping to see, and was serving up the wrong experience. And so when when we think about that, like that's that's a huge opportunity. And what I want to go through is, bear with me here for a second, is talk about an industry you might not be that familiar with, which is car insurance. You're like, Nate, where are we going with car insurance? Just hold on. So car insurance way back in the day, maybe not way back in the day, was just physically accessible, where you had to go in to talk to your agent, get car insurance. Then you could do it online, you could file a claim, look at different different options, right? Finally, it was available on your phone, where you could submit a claim, uh, request a tow truck, even call someone. But again, it's still very user input centric, where the only thing I was able to do was stuff that I had to do myself, right? It relied on the user to tell the product what it wanted. Well, that's starting to change, and there's a company called Metromile, which I'll talk about in a second, which is actually starting to make this more contextually aware. And they're doing it without any AI or ML. right? This, this doesn't always have to be an extraordinary business problem like that. It can be pretty straightforward. And here's what they're doing. So, MetroMile is a sort of a pay as you go car insurance where you, you plug in a little thing into your car computer. And this does nice things for you like track and optimize your trips, monitor your car's health, um, help you find your missing car if you forget things like me. But the one thing where they're adding the most value, at least in my life, is this last one. So I live in San Francisco. I have to move my car the second and fourth Tuesday of the month. I have no idea what days those are, can never figure that out. But Metromile, because they track where my car is and have have worked with the city to figure out what those days are, sends me a reminder and says, hey, Nate, your car is going to get towed if you don't move it. Awesome. That has nothing to do with car insurance, but that adds a ton of context to my life and a ton of value to me. And that's, again, not an AI or ML problem. Part of of adding context is, is on that level, but we can still do things like this. We have a lot of data about what our customers are doing that we should look for opportunities like this to add extra value and be more contextual. So that's, that's what we sort of see, and actually, sorry, when I do that, when we start to do that, when we actually start to add this context back into our products, the, the way that our users talk about us starts to change, right? They say it's customized, it's contextual, it's personal, it's familiar. I trust it, right? Because it gets me. I don't have to tell it everything that I want to do. It starts to think about what, are, what would be value points to me that I'm not thinking about. And that's, that's what we think about when you put all those things together is actually the idea of like high quality data that powers a systematic growth and eventually lets us add context back into our products. And that's what we call product intelligence. And so what, I le- what I'd like to leave you with this is like, think about these different parts. Right? So earlier we talked about the goal of end-end experiences and, and what you can do to focus on LTV. But some of the core pieces to even start is like, make sure you're capturing data from across your journey. Make sure it's actually quality and actionable. If you're just capturing stuff and not using it, that doesn't count. Make sure you're actually thinking about how you can use these insights to drive growth. Remember that two-thirds of your ideas are not going to work, so the best thing you can do is figure out what is the one-third idea that will work and get to it as fast as possible. And then finally, look for ways to find context and put it back in your product to add those extra moments of power to your, to your users. That's where you get that really, really, like reliable and dependable feel that makes your users come back over and over again. All right, that's it. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.